Welcome to Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak, where we explore the tools and tactics that drive improvement. If you're hungry for more and better, if you want to move past hype and discuss how, you're in the right place. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine. My guest today is Lisa Copeland. With more than 25 years of proven success, Lisa is a powerful keynote speaker, business leader, and a dedicated pioneer in sales and brand strategy. She's been a trailblazer, specifically revolutionizing the automotive industry, and has received many awards and honors along the way, including awarded top 100 women in automotive industry, named to the board of directors of women in automotive, named one of the five most powerful women in Austin by the Austin Business Journal, earned the Walter P. Chrysler Award for Sales and Service Excellence, which is FCA's highest honor, uh, and named Outstanding Business Leader 2014 by Northwood University. Lisa's consulting firm, Lisa Copeland Global Enterprises, helps business owners and entrepreneurs build more scalable and successful businesses, uh, especially through her strategic art of the big sell. So you're going to have a blast working with Lisa, who's worked with a lot of folks uh, from Google to Subaru to Dell to State Farm, H&R Block, many more. Welcome today, my guest, Lisa Copeland. Lisa, thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to have you. Excited to kind of click more into what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on here today. Yeah, you've had quite a ride uh, and often in spaces where you were not the norm, right? Kind of swimming upstream in some areas. Um, uh, Yeah, it's been a fun journey. Give us a little more. I covered a little about your background, but give us a little more. What are you in the middle of today? Like, who do you serve? What are the topics you're talking about? Because we could probably go nine different directions given your backstory and all the things you've been in. What what are some of the things you're working on right now? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I made a, a pivot from the automotive industry in 2016. Yeah. Uh, I had the opportunity to sell my award-winning dealership and people ask me all the time, like, why would you sell an award-winning dealership? And I right. said, cause I had a buyer, you know, I mean, I'm a sales <laughs> expert. So, you know, I understand the whole buy sell mentality and it's not lost on me if you know, just about everything I own is for sale for mm. the right price. And so, uh, and then I, I, I wrote a couple books. Uh, I did a TV show in Canada called car shark, uh, uh-huh. with Kevin O'Leary's production company called proper television. Um, that was fun. I was the only female dealer and there was four other dealers, two American, two yeah. Canadian. Nice. Um, so we had, we had a good time doing that. It was broadcast on NBC up in Canada. Um, went on some speed, I went on a speaking tour, did a lot of corporate speaking, you know, helping, mm. helping sales organizations get unstuck. Yeah. Um, I think that's my expertise. Then in 2020, the pandemic hits. Yeah. My agent calls me and he's like, everything's canceled. We're canceled. We're canceled. We're canceled. And I was like, Oh, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, uh, well, so I back back up. So a friend of mine called me who I've gone on speaking tours with before in the past. And he said, Hey, I just did a deal with Tarek El Moussa from HGTV. And, and, and I, I have a big real estate background. I own a mortgage company that I started about 25 years ago. Nice. So I know real estate, I'm a real estate investor. And he said, you know, we want to build the largest real estate organization in the country and we need a leader. Tarek's too busy on television. I'm too busy doing what I'm doing. You know, would you be interested? And I said, God, you know, timing's everything. 
Yeah. You know, I, mean, I just got pulled off the road. I, I wanted to be, I'm in Texas. I wanted yeah. to be in an essential business so mm -hmm. I would not be in quarantine. Mm -hmm. So got my okay. real estate license. There's a ton here. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in back <laughs> up and ask a few questions. Cause I'm already fascinated. I, I knew you'd exited, but, but your comments about the buy thing, I think that's important for some of our folks right now. Cause, yeah. um, I, I've just had a few conversations, even with some of the audience, uh, about various projects we're doing and man, their, well, I'll just put it bluntly. Their identity is so tightly tied to their yeah. job yes. that they're having very difficult time considering options, seeing themselves clearly. And it sounds like somewhere along the way you managed to figure out how to, to see yourself and imagine your life without, um, Hey, what am I going to do as a dealer? Right. I mean, you, you're killing yeah. it as a dealer and there's probably, yeah. probably a lot of natural like gravity to pull you into this. Like, no, this is me. I'm Lisa, the, the yeah. world-class car dealer. Now, yeah. what do I do? I mean, literally two people last week I talked to are like, I am retiring from this epic position, built a great organization. And I'm like, what are you doing next? And they're like, I have no idea. And I kind of wish I wasn't retiring, but I've hit that limit. I don't know. I'm going to a retirement party to one of my mentors tomorrow. And, and honestly, it, for mo the vast majority of the time, these people don't know how to make that shift. And you did it on purpose. Like what happened? How did you get to that place? Were you ever in the spot where you were stuck or, or did you yes. beginning? I think, how did, how did that yes. place where you could sell and be happy? Yeah. So that's probably my favorite part to the story. So I'm glad you brought it up. And I think mm. this is where I could help people the most. So cool. 2016, um, you know, I was put on the national dealer council for Chrysler, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Ferrari, Maserati, Alfa Romeo. So yep. it's kind of, there was 18 of us that governed a dealer body of about 3,100 dealers. Nice. So it was kind of like being a deacon in the dirtiest church in the world. Yeah. And what I found out was, is that Fiat was leaving America. And I was under NDAs and I couldn't say anything. So I had a guy that wanted to buy my dealership because of the real estate that I had just bought. And real estate oh. was primo for this dealership got after it. I got Alfa Romeo. And so knowing what I knew, I knew I had to sell, right? Yeah. Because you can't, like, I had a $41 million building. How do I pay a $41 million building if if my product is leaving the country? Yeah, and, and yeah. That little back? detail. Yeah. I, okay, so pause. Like, that's, that's not a good piece of news to discover, right? Like this is, I've <laughs> built my life around this. Yeah. How do you, what, what goes through your head in a moment like this? Like, oh no, my thing's not happening. I mean, yeah. Well, take us through that journey. Yeah. So it was devastating. Uh, it was devastating because I had employees that I adored and I knew yeah. it was going to affect them. I had just within the last 12 months, uh, got into a deal on this $41 million facility in Austin, Texas. Uh -huh. Um, so I knew I was tethered to that. Yeah. Uh, I'd worked really hard for Fiat. Uh, you know, when I left it, it was breaking news on automotive news. I'll never forget. A friend of mine goes, I just got a news alert that, that you've sold the dealership. Like it like made news alerts, <laughs> New York times and other stuff. And I said, I know. And, um, but it was an opportunity to get out. And so sometimes you have to put all of that aside mm. and make a business decision. It was hard. I had sleepless nights. Yeah. There were tears. Like, you know, I really loved my people and I loved what I did, but yeah. I had to make a business decision, you know? So sometimes we have to put the emotion aside and we have to do what's best. Mm. You know, that $41 million building was nothing I needed anymore. And, yeah. and I had somebody that, that wanted to buy it for another dealership. And so I just, it was time to go. So I decided to write a book. I wrote a book called, I uh, co-authored a book 
I should say, with mm-hmm. uh, called Crushing Mediocrity, 10 Ways to Rise Above the Status Quo. And oh, wow. I wrote it with, with my best friend, the top jet broker in the world. Nice. And just you know how what our journey was being women in male dominated industries mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how to win. And, you know, and, and I loved doing that. And, and then an agent in New York picked me up. And so I was speaking all the time. Then this television show, Kevin O'Leary had seen me one time and he had a, he had a uh, production company. So let me slow down. Um, how long was that process from like, I'm done to now I'm writing a book to now I'm speaking. I mean, did this, this happen quickly for you as a yes. pivot or was there a big gap? Yes. Yeah. So I sold in March of 16, but I knew by November of 15, I was selling. Oh, okay. So, oh, so I had a lead time. So oh. uh, I started writing the book. I hired a writing coach and I started writing the book immediately because I knew when I sold, I wanted to be able to go out with a book. Yeah. And uh, to talk about some of the big things that we had done. And so, you know, again, I'm, I'm a sales strategist, so I'm a strategist. So I, I lined all my ducks up to make sure that, um, you know, that the timing was good for me. And then I got a call from O'Leary's production company and, and, you know, it it was, it was so funny because that was in March of 16. Mm-hmm. And I guess the elections were in November of 16. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Was that November was the, 16 or, or, yep. or elected in, 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 in yeah, 15, no, that was 16 and it was, uh, it was, a it was 16. Year. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what was great was, I don't know was great or not great, but, um, <laughs> Kevin O'Leary was running for prime minister of Canada at the time. Oh yeah. So I was up in Canada. I was up in Toronto is where we were, we were filming the show and I was up in Toronto with two American car dealers. One of them, I actually got on the show with me. He was a dear oh, friend cool. of mine, pretty famous guy by the name of Chop Tobin. Mm-hmm. He did the show King of cars. He's a big dealer in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, but he and I were on the board at Chrysler together. So we knew each other really well. Cool. And so it was me, him, another guy by the name of BC, BC Moto. BC's a very famous Porsche designer. He, mm-hmm. um, he has his own matchbox cars. He's a dear friend of mine too. And then two Canadian dealers. Okay. So when we were filming the show, O'Leary was running and O'Leary was a like a Trump. He was, you know, very conservative right. Right. And, and the Canadians didn't like him. So <laughs> he didn't yeah. win. Yeah. Trump was winning. So, you know, it was just, it was really an interesting time being up in Canada at that time imagine. and being from Texas. And, um, oh, it was, it was interesting. I, yeah. <laughs> just say that. Okay. They so there's a, there's a second there's... season and I said, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, it's both interesting is, uh, the whole bag of it sounds like, but awesome and, uh, you know, complicated. So yeah. Let me back up though, because there's something I think is important. I'll just kind of call out for folks that you did. That's, I think is part of your strategy mind that maybe a lot of us could learn from, and that is when you see the transition coming. And not only did you not, um, you know, stick your head in the sand and deny it, you went with it. You actually started working on your next chapter before the first chapter ended, so that Absolutely. you transition. Then wake up one day and say, "Gee, I should figure out what to do." Like you had. I, I got a book and you talked to one of your friends and you started lining up things so that when you launched the second one had already got a little momentum going. Yeah. I've done a yeah. couple of big pivots in my life as well. So my, my first field, I was actually a, a performer. So I grew up on stage, um, got on NBC, did, got a degree in theater. I mean, a whole bunch of fun stuff. But I started working on the side, doing some nonprofit work, and decided I loved that more than I loved this. And so, but I didn't, I didn't quit, and then say, "What should I do?" It's like I found something else, and then took a left turn, and I did the same thing again to get into consulting, and then 
Similar yeah. again, actually I became a leader at Chick-fil-A. And so these huge shifts where I went from like traveling the world as this to parked home working here and all this interesting stuff. But I, I always had my other thing going before I made the shift so that I knew yeah. what I was going into. I tested it. I played with it. I had something to, to go to know it was small and there was still big risk and like, who knows if this will work, but yeah, I think that has allowed me to make bigger changes in my life without just being kind of in free fall. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that resonates with you, but it sounds it does. like, I think it's super important to have something lined up yeah. uh, you know, before you just, you know, and, and I've seen people go off half cocked. <laughs> I quit. I'm done. It's over. Okay, great. Well, what are you going to do next? Yes. Well, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I, and I, I don't we, think that that's a good strategy. No. And I think we make worse decisions when we're in that free fall, right? We, yeah. uh, we overreach, we, we get too scared. I mean, in either a swing of the pendulum, you kind of get, it, it's hard to make a healthy choice when you're desperate to figure something out while you're in free fall between kind of identities. So, Correct. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I just thought that was, you know, you're casually like, yeah, I'm strategist. I figured out the next thing. I, that's a big moment that I think a lot of folks can learn from is how do I, how do, and you don't wait so. until, uh, man, I'm forced into it now. No, I start right. thinking ahead. What would I do next? What would I do next? And start playing with some things. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And at that point, I wasn't sure that I wanted to leave the auto industry. I mean, ah, I'm not yeah. the auto industry, but so I, I knew I didn't want to be a dealer again. That yep. was too much work and a lot of heartache. And yeah. so I didn't want to do that anymore. So I really wanted to, I'm very good friends with um, Grant Cardone. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I thought about doing some stuff like what he does and, and start a big mm -hmm. training company and, and all of that. So I was just testing the waters, right? Wrote the book. The book did really well. Um, yep. Got this agent speaking they all hired me. A lot of um, big car manufacturers hired me to come out and talk to the dealers. But you know, once I started doing that, I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do that either. Um, what what was it? What was missing, or what was? Uh, it was just too much travel. I was traveling all the time, so I was home. I, I was gone from home a lot, and so I realized how taxing travel was. Yes, I, yeah, that heavy I, travel schedule from speaking. I travel regularly, but not heavily. I mean, it depends on what you mean by heavy, right? But similarly, I, I put some real tight boundaries. My my personal standard is max of uh, five nights a month is kind of my goal. Now, yeah. it's an average. Every now and then, I'll do a longer trip, but that means the next month or two, I need to back off uh, to make this balance out. And yeah. that has been okay for me because I've, I've got kids. I've got a life I want to live. I, I want there to be more than just this one thing. Um, in fact, one of my kind of heroes and mentors in the book author leadership speaking world. It's a guy named John Maxwell, who I uh, ran across gosh, in the nineties and ended up getting to do some cool stuff with him. In fact, um, spoken at a couple of same events and long story short, I'm publishing a book with his company in October. So got to know him pretty well, got pretty close to his life. And then this is 15 years ago um, that we were at some events and talking about how he did things and, He's like, oh yeah, listen, anybody could do what I do. You just have to be willing to do what I did. Like it's, I averaged for about two decades, he said 300 nights a year on the road. And it's I'll, easy to do. Yes. And I, you know, no. I would love to have the influence he's having, but not at that price. Um, and seeing that in advance helped me be like, yeah, maybe I need to figure out another way of doing this. Totally. Now, let's totally. not say that that isn't the right calling for some folks. Some people I think love 16, that. I think I was on the road about 200 nights. Yep. Uh, I was just in heavy, heavy demand. Um, 
when in the speaking world, there are a lot of women fem- uh, motivational speakers, but there's yeah. not a lot of women sales experts. Right, right. So, so yeah, yeah, huge. And you're you're good. I mean, I've read your stuff. Like you're, it's it's good stuff. So it's high Thank quality. You you don't have a thousand competitors that look and sound and talk the same way on the same topics. Like yeah, that, of course. But man, this so this is one of the challenges I've seen in my life, and I'm curious how you react to this. When I was getting started, maybe the key to my success was saying yes and trying lots of things, right? When I'm young and trying to figure out what I'm doing and I'm like openness to trying and yeah, I'll try that and yeah, I'll do that and yeah, and taking on more and more and more. And at some point, like the pendulum swung, the needle tipped to the other side of the scale. And it's like, actually the key to my success began to have the courage to say no to things. I know you're inviting me to speak. Sorry, can't do it. I know you want me to do it. Sorry, can't do that. And, and it's like a little bit, little bit, little bit until now, that's the key. And, I, and listen, early on, I definitely needed to just like put myself out there and try a bunch of things, but it, I don't know. Have you experienced that same shit? Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I honestly just uh, raised my speaking fee. I just kept raising it. Yes. Yes. I, that's one of the ways I say no is I like yeah. crank up the price and I'm like, yeah. I mean, listen, um, I've, I've done this yeah. for multiple areas of my life from coaching to speaking to some yep. of the other investor work that I do, it's like the deal size has got to be bigger or uh, that, it's that not worth it. me filter. Right. And part of that is not because I don't like all those things. It's just, dang it. I need help figuring out what to say yes to and what to say no to. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It It's, I gotta say, it's still not natural to me. I don't know that it will ever be natural to me. I'm an optimist. I see the potential. I get excited about every idea first, and then I go back and poke it for problems. And so it is still very hard for me to say no, but, um, man, it is not optional anymore. Not if I want to have any sort of healthy life. Exactly. I say no a lot. How do you do that? Like, where do your filters, do you have tools? Do you have decision? Like well, I have that, people that, that helps. Okay. Say more. What do you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, so I have an assistant, I've got two assistants. And so they know what I'm interested in doing and not doing. So they're very good gatekeepers for me. Um, Ah, yeah. So I I recommend a gatekeeper for sure. Cause in that way, you know, nobody gets upset with you. Nobody thinks ill of you. It's just, you know, only certain things get past the gatekeeper. And then, and then, you know, I've told myself I'll only do eight speaking gigs a year now. And so he is very high. He decided here's my limit. I'll do yep. eight. That's as much as I'm willing yeah, to because do. That's, that's all I want to travel for that. Right. Right. You know, I'll do eight. And then, um, at my new speaking fee and then, which is already booked for this year. Nice. And then, um, I'll do four nonprofits in my area for free. Uh, and that's it. Otherwise, because otherwise every nonprofit wants me, I've sat on multiple boards. And yeah. so, yeah. I'm the same. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so, okay. Gatekeepers, um, I got to double click on the assistants for a second. Cause I, I have an assistant um, and I talk to my clients a lot. I work with a lot of CEOs uh, and one of it overwhelmingly, they don't have assistants. Even I, mean, I was just talking to one of them, they are $400 million company and they don't have an assistant. Like shame on him. Like, he's so valuable. Um, but you have two. So what do your two assistants do? Like tactically how they help unpack that for people who don't get that. That feels like yeah. a fluffy uh, extravagance. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is one of the most tactical smart spins I have. What yeah. do your assistants do for you? 
Um, you know, I've got one assistant who's really, she does everything that is like, she answers all of my emails. She schedules mm -hmm. everything for me. She, she does my accounting for me. You know, and that's a lot. I just to keep up with everything because wow. I've, I've got a large real estate team. I've got over 900 agents. So, so, yeah, you know, she, she schedules yeah. calls for me with my agents and my teams and mm. things like this and whatever. And, um, and then I've got my real estate assistant who, who is a transaction coordinator and she does all of my legal, she does all of my contracts, so, all of my, anything. So that's like real expertise estate. that she knows oh, yeah. real estate. She knows law. She's, she's like, licensed. Hey. Yes. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So basically I show up and I'm the front person, mm -hmm, you know, I do the mm -hmm. negotiating and then I turn all the paperwork over to the people that um, will keep me out of jail. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, that's awesome. I, I love, there's a couple of things I love about this. One is that I think a lot of folks don't know what an assistant would do beyond my calendar. And they're like, I don't have a lot of scheduled meetings. What do I do? That's easy for me. Like, no, I think you're expert assistant and making that term up, but you know, that they're, yeah. They partner with you, but they have like a certification and, and lead. Oh, like they're not yeah. just um, a nice person. They they have something unique they bring to the piece and you're driving and making deals happen and they're following up with expertise. That yeah. kind of partnership is huge. What I say to a lot of my clients. Well, expertise and communication, right? I mean, time kills deals and lack of communication kills deals. Okay, wait, wait. Say so, those two things again, because those are uh, big insights for deal makers. Yeah, yeah uh, time kills deals. Meaning, you know, if, if something's presented to us, we try to answer within minutes. Yeah. Minutes. We can't. Not, yeah, not days, not even hours. Four hours, minutes, 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 right? The market's hot. So, so time, and then so that's what we try to do. And then communication. So, like when when I've got listings or our team's got listings, you know, we mm. communicate with our sellers every other day. Like somebody calls them, holds their hand. Hey, here's what's going on. We had no showings. We had ten showings. Nice. Here's what's happening. Da 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 da. So we're always in communication with people. That is huge. Both of those things. I think yes. people are think that the way to get better output in life is often to slow down and craft, craft, craft. And there's a few zones. I think that's appropriate, but man, uh, speed wins a ton. It, let's Every say time. you're just as good as your competitor. You both are going to make similar offers, but you get there first, you win. So certainly Every you got to have a good team and good offers, but, but most of the time, what I find is the first good offer wins the deal. Yes. That, that's true in real estate. I've dabbled a bit myself, but yes. it's true in lots of things. I mean, we listen in my own company. I used to do all the sales because consulting, right? Like this uh, high end, we're going to help you transform your company and great customer experience and employee stuff. And it's all sorts of cool things. But I used to, man, in the early days, I used to handwrite my, of all the proposals, they were all custom crafted strategic Ugh. documents. It took me two to three weeks on average to get something back. And all we did overnight was send far simpler, far less detail. Like here's a high level idea, get it out within 24 hours and sales literally quadrupled for us. Just, yep. and it was like, I don't understand. I'm sending them less information. This isn't good stuff. I kept thinking getting more sales, getting people to say yes, would be giving them more quality content. Like is a better proposal, more custom to your company. I, and it, we literally like, Hey, here's the big idea. Here's a ballpark number. If you're interested, we'll work out the details next and speed radically improved people's willingness to work with us. Um, I way underestimated that. So yeah, speed, everything time, time. You know, my, I tell my team time kills deals. Yeah. That's a big statement. I've not heard it said that way before, but I am mentally knocking that down and then communication, man. I think we under communicate like crazy. 
Yeah. Um, so or, customers. you know, and then plus I have a rule, like it isn't just text, right? Like, ah. like they have to pick up the phone and they have to call all my people. Yeah. Shocker. Have an actual conversation. Yep. It's funny. We make this, there's a lot of, I've experienced a lot of resistance trying to get teams to do that. They're like, Oh, oh, oh. and then they finally do it. And it's easy. Yes. 30 seconds, two minutes tops. They actually enjoy talking to them. Yeah. I, I think there's this, um, unrealistic resistance we're afraid it's going to be dangerous and troublesome. And man, I find so, so yes, lots of communication, real communication. I I've even found that there's value. If I'm going to have to text, I can't answer, um, like send him a voice text. You know how you can record your voice and send that over rather than just the words. I mean, just the, the, the sound of a voice of person with energy who cares about you. Um, I I think there's a lot again, and it, I, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but my team and I tend to wait too long. And so we're really working on the, the more frequent communication. One of the principles I would often say too, is um, especially for those of us who work for clients that we're, we're off doing work for on their behalf, like we're kind of their agents and stuff. I say, we need to make our work visible because if we go do a bunch of this work and we don't tell them that we did it all for them, right? Uh, we, we're not actually earning any points. They're not enjoying it. They're not having a great time. W- one of my mentors was telling me this story because I actually got into trouble with a client. I'd done a ton of stuff, but, um, I don't know, this is some time ago, but I went six weeks and didn't give them any updates. Um, we were doing this year long project. And then they called complaining that clearly, you know, we're not a priority to you and you must not you know care about your work. And I was like, well, are you kidding me? We've been killing ourselves these last six weeks. Right. But I hadn't updated the main boss, the CEO, right? Been working with all the sub teams and hadn't told the CEO, here, here's what's actually happening. So CEO was getting all mad. I guess, you, guess you're not working on our stuff. And so I managed to recover the relationship. It's great. But I was like, what happened? I was telling a mentor and he told me this story. He said, okay, this is hypothetical. He goes, this didn't actually happen. But this guy was a Silicon Valley CEO. He's CEO of the year back in the day. And he said, okay, so there were two sales guys selling computers in the days. And one guy said, Hey man, he came to the com- the client and he said, I'm trying to get you your deals. Uh, they're delayed. You know, we'll get there. And every week he showed up and said, I'm working like crazy for you. He actually wasn't talking to the factory whatsoever. He knew it was going to be late the day he sold it. He's just spinning a story, but he talked a lot. The other guy who actually found out it was going to be late. And he went every week to the factory and he's like, you got to get him. You got to get him. You got to get him. Well, the one guy was six weeks late, but he told him all the time I'm working for you. The other guy was only three weeks late. He actually pretty close but he didn't tell the client all the stuff he did. And so the client fired the guy who got him there three weeks early and said, you clearly aren't working for us and kept the guy who didn't do the work. Now, the moral of the story was not um, don't do work, just talk about it. Um, right. But it was like, they they don't give you points for work you do that they can't see. That's um, it. And, so and, and, I, so, and when, you, when you do it up front, you need to tell your clients what to expect. So when we do a deal, it's like, you're going to hear from Mary every Wednesday. You're going to hear from Mike every Thursday. You're going to hear from this. And this is what, so so that we hold ourselves accountable. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's next level. Honestly, uh, I'm I'm taking a little notes here. I, I, we, we've set our own goals, but I haven't publicly committed to that communication goal with the client. Yeah. This has been good for me already, Lisa. Uh, Good. Yeah. Communication. It's, uh, it's fast, frequent communication that alone do the same level of work you're doing. And that alone will radically improve their experience of you. Yes. Uh, million percent, man. Okay. That's good stuff. Okay. So, so book, um, automotive and decided, okay, great. Don't want to travel, put some boundaries on my life. Uh, where do you, how do you pick the next thing? I mean, 
there's, there's this huge world pulling you in and you decide not to. What was it that got you to go doing what you're doing now? It was a phone call from a huh. friend of mine, this guy by the name of Haas Pratt. And he called me, he and I had met because we had the same, we had the same agent and we had met and I had done his podcast back in 2018. Yeah. And he had just did a deal with Tarek El Moussa from HGTV. And if you guys don't know Tarek, he's got the show Flip or Flop. He's married yeah, to Heather yeah. on Selling Sunset. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, they were looking for somebody to really put together a real estate team, like national global type team. So Haas called me and he's like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, well, that's a funny question. I don't really know what I'm going to be doing next, but yeah. I've done this and this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, he said, and he, he said, do you have a real estate license? And I was like, I do, it's inactive, but I've got one. Right. And he goes, well, why don't you make it active again and, and work with Tarek and I, and I, anyways, so through several meetings and several, whatever, I loved the guys. I loved their vision uh, and I'm still working with them today. That's awesome. Um, yeah. man. So like it, they, they, it was sort of out of the blue. It sounds like, right. Uh, I mean, not out of the blue in the sense you have the expertise, but you didn't right. even know they were starting the company. No. Um, they, they came well, in and, 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 and they didn't start a company. They, because the company we're with is a company called EXP, which oh, we are a globally. Right. A global yes, company. Yes. Big um, but, but they were starting their own organization within EXP. I got it. Okay. But, but, but still it was a project they they had envisioned and then approached you. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like, correct me if I'm reading this wrong, but again, I'm trying to draw life lessons out of this for everybody. Sure. Um, one of the keys you've done is you had built some good relationships that yes. you, you had, didn't know the, the business deal that they were talking about particularly, but you knew these people and these people knew you and respected you. And it sounds like years later, right? Um, two, three years later, two years later, they're, they're knocking on your door saying, we liked you. Let's talk about opportunities. And I, yeah. I think relationships are key. Um, one of the, the engines. And the way I met Haas was doing a podcast like this. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's part of what I'm loving about the podcast myself is it's creating yeah. all sorts of cool connections for me. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's a good excuse to get together and swap stories. Um, which honestly, part of my life too, is uh, I've been doing stuff like this and then I just never used to record it. Like, ah, I met this coolest person and I would tell my staff and that would be it. Um, so now my cool connections fun. become something other people can learn from too. But yeah. Okay. So the way I've often said it to folks is my future wealth is my current network, like my rich relationships. And one of the keys are, I call these upgrade engines, right? That's the name of the podcast is a high trust relationships. Can you build and keep high trust relationships? We're like, I, I get, I trust you. You trust me. High caliber folks that get to know and trust each other. I, very rarely does a deal happen. In the first conversation, sometimes it's a decade later, but but the majority of all the things I'm doing in my life that are high value and I'm loving and are getting great return is because I had a relationship with somebody who opened a door, created an opportunity, figured that out. And so I, it, it's, it's a weird thing. Like I get to know you and I, I'm having a great time talking with you. Would love to keep in touch. This is fun. I don't have a like thing we have to do in the next month, right? I don't have a deal to pitch you. You're not pitching me on a specific thing, but it's, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, I know it'll turn out somehow, somewhere, even if it's just, Hey, I know a guy and I need to introduce my guy to you. Right. One of my listeners might be like, Oh, I want to get in on that real estate thing. And we make a connection. Um, sure. Whatever it is, all I know is somewhere down the line, if you do this enough, 
the coolest opportunities come out of this. Um, yeah. And I'm so grateful to Haas. Like I said, you know, uh, our agent it was funny. Our agents in New York, they're in Manhattan. And when they signed Haas and me both in 2016, mm-hmm. they immediately said, Oh, you two have to know each other. You're both from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. So anyways, we just laughed when we met the first time. He's like, I guess the only reason people think we need to know each other is because we're both from Texas. And yeah, you know, yeah. cause everybody from Texas right. is the same. Everyone right? from Texas has to know each other. Yeah. That's, uh, right. that's right. Yeah. He's just become one of my very dearest friends. Like I love the guy. That's I awesome. liked him the day I met him though. Like he and I had a great podcast together and yeah. kind of kept up a little bit, but so it was a little out of the blue when I heard from him. Yeah. But okay. So out of the blue in terms of strategy, right. You weren't pursuing it, but that's the beautiful thing. Not, not out of the blue in the sense of like, Hey, you've been putting in the time to have relationships, meet yeah. random people from Texas. Yeah. Um, and when, when something's valuable, you just kind of keep in touch. I've sure. I've found a tremendous value in, well, actually Malcolm Gladwell's when it first inspired me, did you ever read the book, um, tipping point where he talked about kind of how to make movements and stuff. And one of the, the several things in that book that I was like, Oh, that's good. So he talked about, um, like we, he called them weak connections when it comes to relationships, we tend to think, man, I've got my inner circle, my best friends, you know, backyard buddies, and you know, we're going to go shopping and hang out and watch movies together. And it's going to be great. And then I've got a bunch of acquaintances because I don't have the energy to have a thousand backyard friends. Like I just can't do that. Um, What he said, but the key to people with large networks that figure this out is they actually figured out how to do the medium ground. It's they're not random acquaintances. They never talk to. They're not their best friends. They talk to every week. They're just once in a while. Keep what he, again, he called it a weak connection. I would call like a medium relationship. Like it's legit. It's real. It's not fake, but, but I don't hang out with them weekly that willingness to just say, Hey, there is even a third category. Most people don't even have a third category. And then I just, you know, once or twice a year, reach out to some of my people, maybe it's three or four times a year in in some cases, but not much more than that. And I've got a pretty growing list of, I would say real friends that we talk two to four times a year. And, and it's, out of that group often come the meaningful coolest stuff. Now I've got my tight backyard friends that are you got to have at least a few of those, I think, to enjoy your life. But great connection, great click. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this sounds like one of those medium relationships. Like, yeah, for sure, it was for awesome. Sure. And well, we didn't hang weekly, but it was awesome. And yeah. that's the kind of people I think it's worth keeping around. Um, it's worth. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Man, okay. So, if someone were to want to to do something with you, like who are the kind of people you guys work with? What are the kinds of things? Uh, what are the speaking gigs you say yes to? Are there kinds of organizations? What are the real estate deals you're into? Like sure. kind of give us a, a heads up of the kind of people who would say, man, if I were to send somebody my way, if somebody's yeah. like, man, Scott introduced me to Lisa, who, who are the kind of people you work with mostly these days? Uh, for speaking fortune fives and fortune twos, fortune yep. ones, that's, pretty much all I work with now. And typically who hires me is the VP of sales because they've got a sales organization that's stuck uh-huh. and they want me to kind of come in there and kick them in the butt. Yeah. Um, so that's from the speaking standpoint. And then, you know, somebody who's a real estate investor and, and in any state, because I've got 900 agents. So, you know, right. real estate's the only true way to wealth. You know, I, I talked earlier about my good friend, Grant Cardone, but I knew Grant from the car business. Mm-hmm. And so when I, just like Haas called me, when I did this deal, I called Grant yeah. And, you know, Grant owns, you know, I don't know, 12,000 doors. Yeah. And yeah. Um, his wife, Elena, uh, is on my real estate team. Oh, very cool. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And yeah. Anyways, it, it, but again, it just goes back to who do you know, who do you know, who do you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, just like Haas called me, I called Grant. <laughs> I mean, that's... and it wasn't quite that easy to close the Cardones. I'm not <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I had to get the chairman of our company involved and, you know, but anyway, but it's, it's been great because, you know, those are the caliber of people that yeah. I work with. My other very dear friend, one of my backyard friends is a gal by the name of Sharon Lecter. Mm. And she wrote the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad with yeah, Kia I was just going to say, I recognize yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And so she, you know, very dear friend of mine, I was up at her ranch and I was talking to Haas and she heard me talking about it. And she said, you have one job tonight. You need to get Michael, who's her husband, a huge IP attorney. You need to get him to get a real estate license. We want to, you know, we, we want to play with you guys. Okay, great. Yes. So that night at the ranch at dinner, I talked Michael Lecter into getting his real estate license. And so, you know, anyways, so it's, it's been, it's been a ride, right. But it's, it, you know, you're to your point earlier, what I say about your network is your network is your net worth. Oh, that's and, really well said. Yeah, your network is your net worth. And, um, you know, I, I believe I've been so successful at this point in my life is because I've built a strong network. Yeah, yeah. Um, I and they make that. money off of me and I make money off of them and we're all capitalists and we're good with it. I, I, I mean, listen, when it's done with your friends like this, it yeah. actually is everybody, truly everybody wins. This is where, you know, we, you talk about creating wealth. It's not a metaphor or a fluffy term. It's like, no, there's more money for everybody after it's all done. We sure. created something that didn't real estate's a great example of this, right? Like uh, you get a bunch of raw resources, some builders, a piece of land, you combine all that. Um, all the people get paid. And now we have a property that's worth even more than all the things were when they were undeveloped. Um, sure. and that whole journey makes everybody in the deal better off. And when you can do that with your friends, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like a fun life to me. I mean, that's kind of life I get to live too is, Let's yeah. build cool things with my favorite people. And we all make money. I, it, it's a pretty fun way to make money. So, um, yeah. Well, man, thanks for sharing some of your journey. Of course. Thank life. you for having me. Yeah. I will put the links for people who want to reach out to you in the show Thank notes. You. And, um, man, I'm excited to see what you do next, Lisa. This was awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on life and leadership, you might want to sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.scottwozniak.com slash upgrade. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K dot com slash upgrade. You'll get a cool quote, a deep thought, and a recommendation for something that I use and love. It's not long, and it should be fun. The theme is similar to this podcast, but it's not the same content. And if you're a leader who wants to build a legendary brand, you can check out my company's website to learn how we can help at www.swazconsulting.com. That's S-W-O-Z consulting.com. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine.